Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. All right, so remember me, oh my God, for good. That's actually what Nehemiah closes the book out with. If I, if, if I was to ask you, what would people remember you by? Would it be for good? Would it be for doing God's work? You know, if I look back at my old life, my before Christ life, my Lord, it's, I don't think anybody would want to remember me. You know, at the end of the day, one of the things that I love about this chapter is we close it out. We actually see we're going to be looking at some real people with real problems uh, that need God's direction and guidance. And, and God puts Nehemiah back in their lives uh, as, a, as a leader uh, to bring counsel, to bring advice, uh, to remove sin. Uh, from the city he's been gone for about 10 to 12 years we talked about that last week so remember when he left in in chapter 2 the 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 king asked him how long are you going to be gone right how long are you going to be gone and and so when the king asked him how long are you going to be gone is he had a timetable to return back to king Arxerxes. so he's been with king Arxerxes for about 10 to 12 years and he returned, as we looked at the beginning of chapter 13, he returned and he was dealing with a mess. They allowed people in the temple that shouldn't have been in the temple, including Tobiah. And, uh, and so now what we're going to see is, is his return and that continued return and the, the unfortunately the disobedience uh, that's going on in their lives. And so um, he's going to start dealing with that. And, and one thing that we need to remember is when we're talking about sin, when we have disobedience, that actually sin separates us from God. And, and that's the problem that people struggle with because they want to romantic, romantically look back at their life. And we're going to talk about that this week because and, and on Sunday we're going to be talking about the parable of a sower. And, and you have those people that come to know faith and they have that that little bit of tribulation and then they're gone. You know, they get shooken up and they take off. And um, what we tend to do is we start looking backwards, thinking it was better. Remember what they did in Egypt? They looked backwards. They thought, man, you know, we, got, we had leeks and we had vegetables and, and we could fish. And, and, and honestly, what they were doing is they were, they were letting the world entice them back into their, into sin. And, and entice them back into going back into slavery. And they had God. Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 20 said this, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. See, what Nehemiah came to do was simply what God had put on his heart back in chapter 1 when he started praying. 
Nehemiah came to take care of the temple, to make sure the walls were built so temple worship could go back to normal and then be back to worshiping God and then, and then to draw people back to the city. That's what he was called to do, and that's what he does. He, he says, the God of, our, of, of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem, talking to Sam Ballard and Tobiah. He's saying God's going to take care of what we're, we need to do, and God did. The walls were built. A covenant was signed, and yet they've fallen back into their same pattern. And we see in verse 15, and this is a good reminder to us, it's very easy for us to fall back into sin. And, and, and when, it, when it happens, we need to deal with it. It says in verse 15, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15, it says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wines, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 through 15, we went through this a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Sabbath. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, it says, this is the law here for the Sabbath. It said, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is, is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Because this is the problem because they're going to have the foreigners selling too. But it tells them, you know, even everybody who's in the gates of the city, they're supposed to rest. Right? And, and so it, it, we see, and it says in verse 15, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and your Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. God rested, and he, you know, he expects us to rest. It's not something that we're required to, to do, but we should. We should take time to, 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 to rest. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31, they had signed the covenant saying that they would, they would honor the Sabbath. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31, it says, And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain of the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or, or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And so again, for us, we have the Sabbath as rest for us is not required by the law. We live under the grace of Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. But should you rest? We've talked about this. Uh, you know, it's important for, for us to take time to be at the feet of Jesus, to take time and, and to, uh, to, you know, we went to Waco this past week and, and, you know, we did that uh, because Teresa was doing vacation Bible school, so she really didn't have a birthday. She had a little bit of a birthday. And so I wanted to, let's go up to Waco just to get a break. And honestly, we didn't really do anything. We, we just kind of looked around and checked out the city. It's a really cool city. Um, and it had some 
it's funny every time we leave town to go have rest the lord uses something and speaks to us and and uh you know there's some things that could be coming up down the road that we need to pray about that i never expected would happen and and so but conversations that just happened and and but we were at rest we were just like okay lord whatever you want to do let's do it and 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 i think people should take rest are the reason why we have video worship now i like sarah's version of a little stronger better I liked her version of it. I think it's a little better. I think the way she, that she edits it, and I, I know what she does through it, is a little better. Um, but she, you know, they're on, you know, they need that break too. And and so that's why this week we have Marissa and Isaiah coming in. And so, you know, we want we want our, our people of the church to rest. You know, uh, you work like crazy. Most Americans have busy schedules, you know. And it's, you need rest. Your body needs rest. And, and, and there, there has to be time when you honor God and take rest. But you, you also, you can't be so busy that you go, why, well, I don't have time for church. Uh, you, you need to relook at something, you know. Now let's look at it says, and so we're not under the Sabbath law. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It goes on in verse 16 of Nehemiah chapter 13. It says, the Tyrenes also who lived in the city. Now, remember I tell you, if you, if you see something in Scripture and you don't know who they are, who are the Tyrenes? That's part of observation, interpretation, application. If you don't know answer the question blue letter bible will actually tell you who the the, the tyrenes are and uh, you'll see what they were doing i'll explain it. let me finish up verse 17. the tyrenes who lived in the city brought in and fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the sabbath to the people of judah it's it's uh in jerusalem itself so they're foreigners coming in on the sabbath and selling and then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Now, back in Ezra, we know that the Tyrenes actually brought cedar trees from Lebanon to help with the construction of the temple. But it was actually because of who? It wasn't because they were doing it because of God. It was because the king of Persia said they needed to do it. Cyrus is in Ezra chapter 3, verse 7. It says, So... They gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidians. Uh, and then the Tyrenes to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to, sea, to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. So now we know how the Tyrenes are involved in uh, the city of Jerusalem and, and how they're there, right? But who are the, the, the Tyrenes? They're Syria. Still causing problems for Israel to this day. Matter of fact, Syria, they just had uh, the IDF for uh, Israel Defense had just conducted 100 targets of, of sites allegedly linked to Iran-aligned uh, militia over the last few days. But Russia's jumping in now to protect the airspace over Syria. It's amazing because I'm telling you, these are real people, real places, 
and it's in the Bible. And these, these foreigners are still creating problems for the nation of Israel. And, and Russia's over there uh, preparing for the Ezekiel War 38. They're building bases in Syria. They're right on the border of, of uh, Israel. Everything's kind of lining up. And you think, man, the Tyrenes, if you would have just rushed past that and not did some observation and interpretation, you would have missed it. Because I was like, well, who are the Tyrenes? You know, that's, the, that's part of, like, application for, the, for when you're, you're in the Word of God. Like, if you see something, you go, I don't know what that is. Well, maybe you should go look it up. Blue Letter Bible will gladly give you everything you need. You need to, you need to use that resource. But he said uh, in verse 17 that I confronted the nobles. So now the nobles know what's going on. So the leaders of the city are involved. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Israel, no doubt, was staying open because they didn't want to lose money. If, if he's going to be open, I'm going to be open. If the foreigners are going to come here and sell, I'm going to come and sell. And so what they were doing is they were justifying breaking the law because the Gentiles were breaking the law and the other Jews were breaking the law. And, and, and you know, we have to be careful not to try to rationalize what we can do or get away with. Right? Because we can make all kinds of excuses uh, to, to keep working seven days a week, to stay busy. And what happens is you start missing church, you start missing your time in the Word. I, I'm too busy, I just, I, I, can't, I can't commit to serving at the church. I just don't have the, the availability. And, and you're pushing and working for what? God has provided you everything that you need, but you decided you need more overtime because you want that newer car. Or God has provided everything you need, but you want that promotion. And you're going to do whatever it takes to get it. And you don't rest. And, and it doesn't just in, impact your relationship with Christ. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your time with your kids. And so God doesn't, doesn't care about overtime. He cares about overworking. He cares about when you, you put yourself in a situation to where your relationship goes on the back burner. Your relationship with God goes here, and your overtime and your work goes above it. Remember we talked about your, your relationship with Christ is first, right? Here comes our train. We had not had a train come through in a while. Let me let that come on through, because that horn... I love it. It makes me smile every time. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. And that word desist means be aware and have discernment. You need to have discernment. Don't, don't toil so much where you're acquiring wealth that you're, you're not discerning the things of God. You're missing, that, you're missing all that stuff because you're so focused on accumulating stuff. Right? And let me tell you something, you know, you think about, I'm not sure how many of us remember Black, was it Black Monday? Or what it was in October when they had Black October or whatever and Wall Street crashed. And they had people jumping out windows and stuff because they lost everything they owned. 
you need to be understanding that's what that proverbs is saying you need to be understanding that you can lose it all like that it can be gone and and so for us what we need to have we need to have a balance between work and rest there should be a balance between work and rest god provides everything that i need but see one of the things i think about is when i when I, when I think about resting, one of the first things I thought about is like, who spends the day honoring God on Sunday? A corporation does, Chick-fil-A. That's part of their mission statement. It says that they leave Sunday available so that way their workers can worship God if they want and go have church. So they don't have to try to arrange church in between work. Do you see McDonald's doing that? No. You don't see Burger King doing that? No. Are there other companies that 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 have a, a godly perspective? Tyson Foods, actually, they have pastors care. They have offices at every one of their offices. They have pastors available. Forever 21, actually, the, the owners of Forever 21 are actually born-again believers the original owners of it they actually have scriptures on the bags that they give you in and out same thing you go there the cup has the, the scripture on it but none of them take off on sunday none of them do closed on sunday and it's sad because one of the things that we see is that used to be the norm when i grew up everything was closed on sunday I think Kmart was only open from 1 to 4 or something like that. That was it. That means you had to cook on Sunday. <laughs> you didn't get to go run out and go grab food, right? It's funny because when you look at Chick-fil-A's earnings, they're actually out earning McDonald's and Burger King. And they're not opened all week. And they have less stores. They're honoring God. Now, you may not agree with everything they do, but at least they're trying to honor God on Sunday. Right? And, and we need to understand that we need rest as well. We need rest as well. Verse 18 said, Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not your God bring all this disaster on us, on us and on the city? And now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? Nehemiah's reminding them, Hey, your dad, your fathers did this. The whole reason why we had to rebuild the wall. And you're back in it again. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, hear from heaven and I will forgive the sin and heal, heal their land. Now we hear them pray that at every national prayer, right? Every national prayer. I wonder how many of the presidents that are actually up there actually believe the prayer that the pastor's praying out of that verse. Or how many of the congressmen or the, the senators, you know, do they actually want to see the land healed? You know, what he's talking about here in 2 Chronicles uh, 7.14, he's talking about the nation seeking God earnestly as a nation we we have to humble ourselves uh, we must agree that that we actually are, are in sin 
can't keep funding abortion and, and, and acting like we are not going to be paid. You know, we're not going to pay a price for the penalty of the sin. And the second thing he's talking about in 2 Chronicles 7.14, he's talking about prayer. It's like you need to start praying. Praying for the people that are in public office. Praying, be committed to pray for the president and pray for the Senate and the Congress. As hard as that is right now. It's hard. I know that it's not easy to see the direction of the country. It can be very defeating, but we need to be a church that sets the example by praying regardless of the situation. Because we trust God. We trust God. We know this thing's coming to an end and we know Jesus is returning. And if you didn't know that, you better learn that because when Jesus returns, He's not coming back as that lamb. He's coming back to judge. But we need to be praying for our cities. Uh, I mean, sadly, we see you know police chiefs now crying out saying, look, if we don't start prosecuting people, you got people getting beat up in the street. If you watch the news, you'll get depressed very quickly. It's, you can just see it happening. But you know what? I know that my God, my God can heal this land. And we have to start praying that with confidence. It may not be time yet. It may be generations to come before Jesus shows up. It may be tomorrow. But we need to be acting and be busy about doing God's work. And part of that is praying and petitioning for this nation. We, 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 can't, do, we can't just not do that. The next thing is, is as in that Second Chronicles 7.14, is we must seek His face. We, we, we obey God and we ask, Lord, what can I do? Right? Because at the end of the day, it's like, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. We have a lot of people that are being deceived. Because they, they, I, I've met so many people that know the word of God better than I do. And they don't live it. They're being disobedient, just like the people of Nehemiah's time here. They were told not to work on the Sabbath, and yet what they were doing. It's only been 10 to 12 years, and they backslidden that quickly. We have to follow through. We have to. And, and, and to use an Olympic, I know nobody's watching it, but to use an Olympic metaphor, sometimes you don't stick the landing. You get back up and you try it again. Okay? You just keep going for it. You don't, you don't stop just because you, you, you messed up once. God loves you. God loves His church. And wants to see His church stand up for Him. He doesn't need us to. He doesn't. But we need to be, we need to be seeking prayer. We need to be, you know... We need to be on our face. You know, being people that actually do what God's word says. And, and we need to humble ourselves. Humility is, is half the battle. In Nehemiah 13, verse 19, it says, As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders, and they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates. 
that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath. So what he's going to do? He's going to close the gates to sin. That's what some of y'all need to do with your hearts tonight. Like if you're watching this and you're dealing with stuff and you have some sin going on, you need to close that gate off. I was watching a little kid. He was talking about his phone and, and, and the trouble that his phone was getting him in in an interview. And he said the best thing that ever happened to him is his phone got washed. So he was without his phone for three days. And he realized how much of a hold the phone had on him. And how, how it was drawing him into sin. And look what God did. He said that was the best thing that God ever did was take that phone away. Sometimes we have to close the gates. Sometimes it takes somebody else to say, hey, look, you're, you're not living right. You need to close the gates to that sin that you're in. Verse 20 said, The merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So they, they tried to come in. Nehemiah posted up guards said, You ain't coming in. You're not doing it. You're not, you're not going to fall. And the city's not going to be uh, doing this on the Sabbath anymore. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites and I, and that they should purify themselves and come guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. So what does he do? He, he puts hands. He says, look, if I have to, I'll lay hands on you. Sometimes we have to do that. I don't agree with it, but there are times when you got to lay hands on somebody. It happens. You have some knucklehead in the church that don't want to listen and wants to start fighting or do something silly, and they're not really there for God. They were, they were you know, there to disrupt the church. You know, whether they call themselves a prophet of the church. I think we had one person come in. And we had to escort him out gently. And, you know, it's not something that we, we wanted to do. But he left us no choice. He started acting out. So I, I could sit here and tell you, you know, you should never lay hands on somebody, but there may be a time. If you're in security for your church, you may have to lay hands on somebody sometimes. But you need to be gentle as you can, but take care of the threat as quickly as you can. So in Texas, they just stand up and shoot the threat. I mean, we had that one, one guy in the church. He just stood up and boom, boom. It was over. And, and so things happen, unfortunately. But he says that I commanded the Levites. So he, he takes the servants that he has and he puts who? The priest who should have been doing this, right? He puts the priest there and he says, you should purify, your, purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He told them back in, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10, he, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work. And again, it tells you, uh, do not, uh, not do any work. You are your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock. And here's the key. The sojourners who, are, who is within the gates as well. He's like, even you foreigners. 
If you're within the city gates on the Sabbath, you ain't working. And if you can't practice that, don't come in. That, that's Just close the gates. He deals with sin right off the bat. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, If having nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. You need to train yourself for godliness because there are a lot of silly things that are going on out there today. Godliness is, is, is becoming more like God in your actions, your attitude, your character. It, it's, it's to conduct yourself... You know, you don't fall for these unbiblical fairy tales. We talked about eisegesis this week, and uh, somebody shared with me right before we came to church today that, that somebody's saying the vaccine is the Holy Spirit, which is complete eisegesis. Yeah, I, 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 that's false teaching. Okay? Now, again, I told you, I don't care if you get the vaccine or not. That's, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one from the pulpit and I'm not going to but we need to be very careful because we need to when we train ourselves with godliness you're going to be like Nehemiah and you're going to you're going to smell that stuff you're going to say man I'm by the dung gate something stinks here and you can pick up on it quick so remember that the word of God is the thing that produces godliness when we obey it we use God's word to guide us, and that's what produces godliness in our life. We have to be humble and repent. That's what Nehemiah is like. Hey, y'all need to, we need to purify the gates. We need to purify the Levites, right, that are going to be here doing this work of God. Because what you're doing is guarding what God has provided. The provisions here are to protect the Sabbath. So one of the things that happens with us is pride keeps people in their sin. That's why humility and repentance is so important. It, it requires humility because you have to actually say, I'm a sinner. You have to actually say, you know what, I've fallen. And people pridefully won't do that. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23 says, One, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The Lord honors humility. How many people want to hang out with a prideful person? All they do is talk about themselves. And that narcissistic type behavior. You know? I love in Luke chapter 18 verses 10 through 14. It's a great verse and I've shared this with y'all before. It says the two men went up uh, to the temple to pray in Luke chapter 18 verse 10 one, one a Pharisees and the other a tax collector the Pharisees standing by himself prayed thus God I thank you that I am not like the other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like the tax collector I fast this is a prideful man I fast a week twice a week I give tithes of all that I get but the tax collector standing far off. So you see what the prideful man says, right? But look what the humble man says. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down the house justified rather than the others. For everyone, this is the key to this in verse 14, in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself 
will be exalted. Nehemiah goes right back into action. You notice that Nehemiah didn't go to prayer this time. He went straight to let's fix this. You knuckleheads know. You know better. We've been here. We've done that. Remember that covenant you signed? What are y'all doing? Let's fix this. Verse 23, it goes, we see the next part of the problem. In verse 23, in those days I also saw the Jews who married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half the children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but the only language of each people. So we have an issue here because they don't speak the language of the Bible. How are they going to learn the Bible? Right? And this, what, this is what happens when you commit to somebody who doesn't follow your God. This is a hard subject, and I know this is going to probably step on toes, and I'm sorry, but you have to understand your children suffer when, when you decide that you're going to follow after someone who's not a believer. And it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, because if this next generation for Nehemiah is going to learn and carry on the things of the temple, the temple worship, how to, how to, to know the commandments of God, they need to be able to do what? Speak the language. It's a big problem. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4 tells us exactly why God did, said this as a commandment. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, the clear, clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall not make a covenant with them, and you shall show no mercy to them, and you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons for following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will destroy you quickly. That was the law. That, that, was, that was what Jesus said. He was like, hey, this is... You can't do this. You can't do it. In verse 25, he says, And I confronted them, <laughs> and cursed them, and beat some of them, and pulled out their hair. Now, I can't say that you should be doing that. Okay? I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Again, they signed this in the covenant and they're breaking it. And, and one thing that I will say about this, and, and I, I, this I feel very strongly about. No, you do not be cursing people out. No, you do not beat some of them, even though you want to. And no, you don't go pulling hair out. Okay? But one thing that I will always be about is men need to be told in a manly way at times, bluntly, because there's too much 
I don't know if it's metrosexual or whatever it is. I see commercials with dads that are, I see commercials where the dad's at home and the mom comes from work and I mean, it's weird. It's like the masculinity of men have been just destroyed on TV. But sometimes men need to be told bluntly, okay? And, and, and what I'm getting at is there's this old movie back, now this is BC days, so don't beat me up for this. This is before Christ. But it was a movie called Major League Back to the Miners. It was a baseball movie. And there's this, this old coach, there's this coach and this old outfielder. And when I read this scripture, it hit me because I was like, that's how you need to say it sometimes. You can't, you can't hold back punches. The coach tells him, uh, he says, I know you're an outfitter to pop, but I think we need to do what's best for the team. And the player stops him right there and says, hold on, I've been around long enough. You don't need to give me the best of the team speech. Just give it to me straight. And the coach goes, okay, you're too old. You're too fat. You're too slow. Is that straight enough for you? And he goes, that's pretty straight. <laughs> but he goes, but I love your bat, and I love your leadership on the field, and I need you. That's how men need it sometimes. You can't, you can't give them cotton candy. You need to, you need to just be blunt. And, and I honestly believe sometimes when somebody's in sin, you don't have to be ugly, but you need to be truthful. You need to be blunt sometimes. This thing that you're doing, and in, in, in God's word says that you shouldn't be doing it. I love you, and I know you're going to get angry with me because I'm going to tell you this, but you need to walk away from this. Now that's blunt. That's giving it to him straight. And you'd be better off doing that. Because at the end of the day, that's the problem, is we're, we're, we're trying to skirt the issues on a lot of this stuff and we need to be very direct because God's words direct God does not ask you to to add a question mark where there's a period okay there's a period there for a reason don't try to question it okay verse 26 says did not Solomon king of Israel sin account on uh, of such women among the many nations there was no king like him and he was beloved by his God, and God made him a king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we, uh, shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against your, our God by marrying foreign women? So he tells them, hey, look, you know, uh, Solomon had all this wisdom, right? And he blew it. He blew it. Solomon, the, the, the man who asked for wisdom from God, fell into sin by marrying foreign women. So do you think you're going to just figure this out? No. So, 2 Corinthians 6.14, this is what I was getting at. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Period. There's not a question mark there. Okay? So, if you're already married to an unbeliever, you need to be praying that he becomes a believer or she becomes a believer. If you think that you're going to fix somebody, don't. Don't. Because it tells you, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Do you realize that this verse actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, where it tells you 
Paul is referencing that he's telling you, you don't put an ox and a donkey yoked together. You won't get a straight line. It has to be an ox and an ox or a donkey and a donkey. That's how it works. But see, what happens is we want a, a romantic relationship so bad, we want to have that intimate fellowship or that friendship, and we will compromise the intimacy that we have with God so we can have it. Because we think, hey, I can, I can fix her. I can fix him. It's not your job to. Don't be unevenly yoked. Period. Period. Christians need to be careful. There are a lot of people that will show up at your church that say they're Christian. You need to test the waters with them or her. You need to see how they, their relationship with Christ is before you just run off with them and get married. Because they can say they're a Christian. I know a lot of people who say they're a Christian and there's nothing in their life that represents a Christian. You need to take your time. God will, there'll be red flags, there'll be warnings, there'll be things that'll stand out like a sore thumb and you go, man, I don't think, I don't think they're following. All right? And so you need to be careful with that. The most important thing is your relationship with God. That's the most important thing. And if it's not her or his most important thing, move on. Because that's not who God has for you. Move on. If they come to church only because you go to church, that's not the person. It's not the person. James chapter 4 verse 4 says this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So, when you're unequally yoked, one of you is the, and I'm sorry to say this, one of you is the ox and one's the donkey. You're, you're deciding that the things that are important to you are the things of the world. Because it's going to draw you to the world. It's always going to be this constant pulling. Constant pulling. And it's not just going to impact you, it's going to impact your kids. And before you know it, they won't know the language of a Christian. They'll know the language of the world. And that's the reality of it. We'll finish up here in verse 28. It says, And, and one of sons of Jehadiah, uh, and the son of Elishib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite. Well, wait a minute. The high priest? Wait, right? Therefore I chased him from me. Like, get, you're out of here, bro. Go. Get your stuff. Don't say goodbye. Hit the bricks. I love that. You got to go. You know better. You're the high priest. You're allowed Tobiah in the, in the temple, and you marry, let your son uh, marry to the, the Sanballat, the Horonite. And he says in verse 29, he says, Remember them, O my God. Because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and, and the Levites. You can pray that. Remember them, O God, for every person who's involved in Planned Parenthood. Remember them, O God. They desecrated and killed babies. You can pray that. 
You need to. Nehemiah wasn't playing around. Because he's like, hey, and the, and the covenant of the priesthood of the Levites, they, they desecrated that covenant that they made. In verse 30 it says, Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites each in his work. So he reestablishes the temple worship back. And I provided the wood offering and appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. That's where our title's from. I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah doesn't wait around for things to get fixed. He fixes them. What can we learn from Nehemiah? It's never too late to fix what's right. Right? I'll get to the application in a second. I'm just doing kind of an overview here, Court. I'm sorry. So it's never too late to do what's right. Uh, even for God's people. I, no matter where you're at in your walk, no matter what, what you're going through right now, you can, you can right now at this moment renew your walk with God. And God will, you just repent. In humility, you come to God and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've allowed this thing into my life and I need you to close the gates. Maybe it's pornography. Close the gates of the pornography. Close the gates of the alcohol. Close the gates of the drugs that I'm on. Just close the gates and, and, and help me do what's right in your eyes. Stop trying to question when there's a period. If God puts a period there, you don't question it. Okay? One of the things I love about Nehemiah, he doesn't fool around with sin. Never did. Throughout the whole book. And, and his, his, his whole point of everything was reverence for God. He had reverence for God. He feared God over man. Right? And Nehemiah was a man of praise. He was a man of the word. He was a man of prayer. Nehemiah always, yes, Lord. That was his priority. He didn't allow the devil to distract him. Remember, he said no to Tobiah, no to Samballot. He believed in the promises that God was going to help rebuild the wall. And it was done. So what is our application for tonight? How can we fix spiritual decay today? Is there a sin... Is there areas of sin in your life that you are not aware of? And I realized I got a typo here. Now when Nehemiah dealt with, with sin, he, he did it very quickly. Nehemiah came back after 10 to 12 years and he, he dealt with the problem with the Sabbath. He dealt with them having uh, married foreign women. He closed the gates. He dealt with the sin. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. We are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Very important. Most of us will underestimate our sinfulness and overestimate our goodness. Most of us think we're the greatest gift that God's ever give, been given, right? I'm just full of goodness. And yet you're full of sin. You're underestimating your sin. You need to, you need to be <laughs> dealing with your sin on a daily basis. Cling to what is good. Okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Second application. 
In what ways is God calling you to fix areas of compromise in your life? Are for others. How is God calling you to be like a Nehemiah, a type of Christ who is zealous for confronting sin? It's a hard thing to confront somebody with sin. Okay? And, 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 but Nehemiah was, you know, he, he handled, and, and it, it's tough when you have to tell somebody that they're walking in sin. It's tough when you have to actually, you know, counsel somebody and, they, and you find out that they're involved in this sinful behavior. But you know what? It's also awesome because God does work in that. When we're humble and we repent and, and within that humility and we get rid of those compromises in our lives, man, God can do amazing work. And He will. He will. No matter where you're at today, God can. But, but you also sometimes, you have to be that Nehemiah. You have to be that leader that can say, hey, you have a blind spot. I need to, me and you need to talk, bro. Uh, you know, there's something going on that, that uh, was made aware of me, to, to me, and I need to talk with you about it. And those are hard conversations to have, but a real leader will do that. Nehemiah did. He, he cared and was concerned for the people. Now you go, well, he laid hands and pulled beards and he cursed at them. He cared for them. Because remember, he was praying for them. He was working right beside them. He was with sword in one hand and brick in the other, working with them side by side. Last application. What are signs of compromise amongst the people of God? Think about that just for a second. Do you see compromise in leadership in the church today? Yeah, we do. But you know what I do see? I see a bunch of young, young pastors and men and women that love God. And even though we may see some compromise in leadership, we see a, a great new generation of believers that are coming up. And we need to encourage them and pray for them and, and disciple them. Do we see compromise by misuse of money? Yeah. That happens in the church, unfortunately. Yeah, I forget what pastor it was that wanted, my plane is, is old, I need a new plane. And he was out of Atlanta, I forget his name. He wanted a new plane. And I was like, really? Misuse of money. Uh, Joel Osteen with his Ferrari. Misuse of money. So do we see compromise? Yeah. But I also see, so it's very easy to point the negative things on the church, but you see God's work in the church too and how God is moving in Mexico and the things that are happening as revivals happening in Mexico and the different ministries that are down there operating. Uh, do we see compromise with worldly relationships and progressive Christianity? Yeah, we do. But I see some pastors that are standing up and <laughs> stood up all the way to the Supreme Court to do what God has put on their heart to do. And so I'm, I'm, I, I'm for me, it, that encourages me. So, yeah, do we have compromise amongst the people of God? We do, but we need to be praying for the body of Christ and the leaders in the Church of America, that they stand up, and, and we need Nehemiahs in the church. We need Nehemiahs in the church. We need Nehemiahs that will stand up and and, and be that voice at the same time, do what God is calling them to do. Great book. I love the book of Nehemiah.
So next week we'll be in Calvary Chapel Distinctives. We'll do probably the intro and maybe the chapter one. I'll have to see. Uh, but we'll have books here. Um, and then remember the books are available online for free. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to, as a church, to finish our first book, the book of Nehemiah. Um, what a blessing, Lord. It's what you are doing. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Nehemiah's, uh, just to be able to learn about his leadership and the way that you used him. And I pray that we, uh, in this church, would be willing to step out in faith and do the things that you're calling us to do for this city and, uh, and divine, and for Natalia and for Lytle and for Hondo and Casterville. I pray, Lord, and just ask that you just, uh, you know, we are few, but Lord, allow us to, to do what you're calling us to do. Use this, these, these few hands to do the ministry uh, in this city. And uh, we thank you so much, Lord, for, uh, for us to be able to be here. We thank you for us to be able to have a place to meet. We thank you for those that watch online or catch it on a podcast or, or, or you know, are here personally that come in. And, and we pray, Lord, we pray for our city. We pray for uh, the city of San Antonio as well. And, and we just lift up this nation to you, Lord. We cry out as a nation that we want to turn to you uh, and, and see just a mighty movement. And, and this time where it seems like there's just this great falling away that we would see this great revival, that the church would wake up, that the church would stand up, and, and, uh, and at the same time, Lord, use us. Use us. We thank you, and we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Sunday, communion. Uh, if you're watching and you're going to do it at home, which is cool, I get it. Uh, make sure you have your crackers and your juice, or either your bread and your juice. And uh, we'll have live worship, so we'll actually have Marissa and, and uh, Isaiah here uh, as we get ready for communion. We'll be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Wonderful uh, parable of the sower. And so we'll get into that, and uh, hopefully you, you tune in and, and join us for that. So calvarydivine.org, if you need to get a hold of me uh, or you need prayer, uh, any of that stuff, it's, it's all available online. God bless y'all. Y'all have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.